I'm Anna Wambach and I'm the UAC Student Forum Chair and I'm sat here with Jocelyn Mosley, Senior Lecturer at Newcastle University. For the next few minutes we're just going to talk a little bit about Jocelyn's career and how she ended up at this post at Newcastle. So Jocelyn, tell us how you got into academia. Well, it was a rather roundabout route as I was very definitely not going to become an academic. Uh, I did a PhD um, and then I went into the European fast stream of the British Civil Service for a year. Um, I think it's fair to say that I wasn't particularly good at being a civil servant uh, and I certainly didn't really see that as my long-term career. So I was very fortunate indeed in that I managed to get a Marie Curie fellowship, one of the postdoctoral fellowships from the European Union, and that took me for two years to a German think tank called BIC, the Bonn International Centre for Conversion, which actually has nothing to do with religion, but is all about uh, converting uh, military into civilian usage for land, people and industry fascinating two years and then like many European studies people I found myself in Brussels uh, working for ULB, the Université Libre de Bruxelles in the Institute of European Studies there uh, which again was a fascinating time but then I had to get a proper job and I started applying like everybody does for every possible advert both in the think tank world, in the policy world and also in universities and the first people to offer me a job, thank you very much, University of Manchester, um, were Manchester, uh, who gave me a one-year teaching fellowship. And from there, I was appointed here in 2005 as a lecturer, and I've stayed here ever since. And what advice would you give a postgraduate research student who's not quite sure whether to go into academia or not? Well, I think... One of the most important things you can do, given the uncertainties of the academic job market, is to always have a plan B, C, D and E. Uh, so lots of options that you feel happy about and that you can kind of sort of pursue alongside um, trying to build up your CV for the academic jobs market. I think one of the things that is vital if you have any intention of going into academia is to be very clear on the requirements so you do need to get things published. It's a very good idea to get involved and start building up a network. So getting involved with something like UACs is a fantastic way to actually start getting to know people in the profession and making sure you know relevant people. Uh, and not just senior academics, also people of your, who are also PhD students because they would be the network of the future. So what's your main research focus? Um, I've always been fascinated by the international political economy of security and defence. Uh, my PhD was a comparative study of Europeanisation of armaments policy in Britain, France and Germany. And then as the EU began to become more active in security and defence, I've looked increasingly at what the European Union is doing. So I'm interested in, I suppose, the progressive securitization of EU policies. So the intrusion of security into areas of internal and home affairs, uh, into research policy, into trade policy, and any number of other policy areas. It's interesting to watch because it's happening in quite a unique way. Um, and it's certainly provided me with no shortage of case studies and research material over the past decade, and I suspect that will continue. 
what was it that interested you in this particular area in the first place? Um, oddly enough, it was my master's dissertation. Um, I spent the summer of my master's course on an Erasmus exchange at the University of Saarbrücken, sitting nicely on the Franco-German border. And I thought it would be fascinating to write a dissertation about something called the Eurocore, which was seen then as a potential prototype for a sort of European army. And what fascinated me was why it didn't work and why, in fact, it never really has worked. And the differences between French and German understandings of what the project should become, uh, how you could use these soldiers for what interventions overseas. And I started to understand how security policy decisions were bound up in a lot more than just strategic decision-making. It was a lot about the strategic culture of the countries concerned, about their industrial interests, about uh, their foreign policy interests and how much they differed. And it just got me interested in security as a whole. And then I looked around for my PhD to see what new institutions were emerging. And there was this little thing called OCAR, an armaments procurement corporation organisation that Britain, France, Germany and Italy founded in the mid-90s. And I thought it would be interesting to look at that and see whether we were seeing a new era of cooperation between European states. I have to say, all of my findings about Europeanisation of armaments policy have been pretty negative. Oh. <laughs> um, cooperation is there on paper, but the reality is somewhat more complex, mm. and it often doesn't work at all. And the EU's efforts aren't, so far, seeming to be that much more successful than the WEU's or anybody else's. Has that ever interfered with your motivation of working in this area, the fact that nothing seems to work that well? Or was it more spurring you on to, to dig deeper? Um, I think it spurs me on to dig deeper because um, you want to know why things that are totally logical on paper don't then work in practice mm -hmm. and what the underlying constraints actually are. It also helps shed light on quite a few other areas of European cooperation and why some things work and others don't. And I think, above all, it is always important to remember that we shouldn't forget the member states mm -hmm. when we think about the European Union, because often it's a particular member state's interests that really have a major impact in shaping a policy area and or making sure it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's a really interesting part of all of this. What's been your favourite research project so far? I think it's one that I did um, with funding from the Flemish Peace Institute uh, four or five years ago now on the European Union and homeland security technologies. And it started to become really interesting because what they wanted to do was for me to look at the whole life cycle. So they were interested in knowing how the European Union was funding research into these sorts of technologies, but also how you actually dealt with the products themselves, and particularly um, because surveillance technologies were being used to repress the Arab Spring revolutions, and European firms were deeply complicit in this. So it became a sort of looking at these technologies from birth to use, mm -hmm. and I found that a really interesting way of looking at it, that I hadn't really thought of before, mm. and it showed the different stages and the different interests and the way that they're interwoven into decision-making processes 
in a way that I found really interesting, although it has also left me very paranoid, particularly about Google. (laughs) (laughs) What would you say is your favourite part about your job? It's perhaps a bit unfashionable, but it's teaching. Um, I actually genuinely enjoy interacting with the students, uh, and particularly now the EU is genuinely interesting on its own merits. I find that students are quite receptive to talking about the refugee crisis. They're interested, obviously, in the effects of Brexit. Uh, One of my lectures got completely derailed last year by the need to discuss Marmite (laughs) and its sudden shortages. Um, So things like that are really interesting and exciting. And I think some of the things that I've enjoyed doing most at Newcastle have been sort of impromptu teach-ins that we've arranged Mm. sort of around um, Mr Trump's election in the United States or Brexit last year. So then you get really interesting students and it's really fun to be around people who are just starting in the field. And what would you say is your least favourite part of your job? Oh, like everybody, marking. <laughs> comes with teaching. <laughs> It does come with teaching, but there is nothing like that large stack of exam papers or essays that yeah. have to be turned around in the next five days and trying to think what to write Mm. as the feedback without writing the same thing over and over again. That, I think, is my least favourite bit, closely followed, I suspect, by form-filling. What do you think are the future challenges for the disciplines of European studies? Well, for those of us in the UK, Brexit is the obvious one. Um, That's going to be a massive challenge for us all to cope with. Uh, It's not just research funding, it's not just that colleagues may no longer want to come and work here, Mm. uh, and students may not want to come and study here, but it's also going to be difficult to make sure that the relevance of studying and researching the European Union remains a big concern for the UK. Mm. Um, And I think, actually, it should do, because we aren't going to be able to move geographically We are still going to be a rather small island off the coast of a large European continent. And the affairs of the European Union are going to remain extremely important in what political decisions we can and can't take. Mm. Um, It's a bit of a... The taking back control is a bit of a myth, I think. And while Brexit doesn't seem to be going terribly well so far, I suspect there are still many ways in which uh, we will be finding out just how many different levels of agreements, laws and other sorts of conventions that will tie us into Europe for many years to come. So I think dealing with all of that is a major challenge for the discipline. But I think European studies in the UK has a really huge advantage and that's the genuinely lovely colleagues who populate the subject who are members of UACs and who are largely a very supportive group of people so I can't see a situation where we end up being isolated outposts at different universities which is good. Yeah. So if a student just starts studying European studies what's the top tip you would give them? I think if you decide to go on to do a PhD really pick something that you're fascinated by and interested Mm. in You need something that you're going to be happy looking at for three to four years. And people might say, oh, you should do something really fashionable. Um, But 
even though I picked to study something that has never become fashionable, mm. <laughs> um, I think the fact I was truly interested in it uh, carried me through both the three years of my PhD and then my subsequent career. And I think if you try to feign interest in something you're not really interested in, then it's going to be a fairly miserable experience. Right, I've got one last question for you. How did you first get involved with UACs? Well, this is probably a little bit unusual. Because I didn't intend to be an academic, um, I first went to a UACs conference in Bristol, if I remember correctly, as a civil servant. And it was largely because we had to do a certain number of days training per year. Mm-hmm. And they were finding it a little bit difficult to find training that was suitable for somebody who already had a PhD in the European Union. And so they sent me and an economist colleague off to UACs as a three-day conference that would neatly tick the training box. I have to probably blame UACs as for me becoming an academic because it was so much more interesting that, well, two months later I did resign. <laughs> so um, not perhaps quite what the civil service had had in mind. Yeah. <laughs> But that was my first acquaintance with UACs. Um, I went back to the conferences whenever I could while I was working abroad. Um, it was an important connection back to the UK uh, scientific community. Um, and in more recent years I've been involved Um, with the collaborative research networks with uh, Laura Chappell, Sven Bishkop and Peter Petrov. I led a CRN on the CSDP and strategy and there's just been an edited book come out from that project last year and then last September I was co-opted onto the executive committee The last year has been fascinating, and I finally now know why UAC organises much better conferences than every other professional association. There is massive attention to detail <laughs> at every element. Even for relatively small-scale events, like we just hosted the UAC's uh, graduate research conference for the Student Forum here in Newcastle, and even there, everything was planned. Oh, yeah. So it was a great experience for both you and me, I think, yeah, to was, host yeah. something like that. So, yeah, being involved with UACs has been a really good way into the profession. It's a very friendly association, mm-hmm. and it's been very easy to make connections and lasting friendships, in fact. Well, thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you, Anna. For more podcasts about Europe, visit the UACs website uaces.org forward slash podcast.